who have been with us the past several weeks uh, as we've been looking into uh, this book from the Bible. What a wonderful study it has been, discovering the roots of our redemption in Genesis chapter number 42 uh, is where we're at today, Genesis chapter 42. If you found your place there, say amen. All right, now how many of you went to bed early last night? You were good. You knew time change was coming, okay? All right, all four of you, great, okay? The rest of you, you have a chance right now to get caught up. Don't worry about it, okay? I won't even call you out, all right? I know how it is. Uh, but no, it's great for Time Change Sunday, for a snowy Sunday to have all of you here. And I'm excited to get into Genesis chapter 42 uh, together this morning. Now, one of the things we'll notice right off the bat as we jump into Genesis 42 is that the focus of the narrative shifts. It shifts from Egypt back to Canaan land. It shifts from Joseph back to Joseph's family, to Jacob, and to all of his brothers. And so uh, we see this shift taking place as we turn over into Genesis chapter number 42. And what we find here in this chapter is that hundreds of miles from Joseph in Egypt was his family. They were there suffering through this famine that was taking place throughout all the world of that day. And uh, I'm sure they were often in Joseph's mind, but there, hundreds of miles away from him, there was his family suffering. And what we find is that the events that happen in this chapter and the next two chapters, they cover about a two-year period, the first two years of the seven-year famine that we've already learned about in previous weeks. And what we find is that God was going to use this famine to grow Jacob and to grow the rest of his sons. He was going to use this famine to uh, bring them all to a place of repentance and restoration, which is something that they had desperately needed for decades. And so there was a reason why God allowed this famine to come into their life. And yet, as they went through this time of famine, I'm sure that they did not understand why God was allowing it to happen. As they went through all of the things that transpired as a result of the famine coming into their life, they sure didn't understand why God was allowing the things to happen in their lives that he was allowing to happen. As a matter of fact, if you look there in Genesis 42 at verse number 28, towards the end of the chapter, uh, Joseph's brothers, they ask a question at the end of verse number 28. They ask this question, what is this that God has done unto us. You almost sense them pointing their finger at God and saying, God, what are you doing to us? You go down to verse number 36, and in verse number 36, the last phrase of that verse, Jacob jumps in too. Notice what he says. He says, all these things are what? Against me. All, that this, all that's happening in my life right now, that God's doing in my life, it's against me. You almost see their little fingers pointing up to God and trying to, if we could put it in this way, blame God for all the troubles that they were experiencing in their life. Have you ever been to a place like that in your life? A place where you wanted to try to blame God for your troubles? As a pastor, I see this often. When a loved one gets sick, or dies, our first tendency as human beings is to point the finger at God. Why did you let this happen? And your life starts to fall apart and nothing seems to be going your way. God, if you really love me, if you're a loving God, then why would you allow this to happen in my life? More often than not, whether we would say it or not, we come to places in our life where we want to stick the finger at God. We want to blame God for all the trouble that we're experiencing. And what's amazing to me in all this is that when you look at all that Joseph endured, which what Joseph endured was, uh, I think we could say, a lot more grievous burden than what his brothers had to go through. Okay, But in all that Joseph endured, he never once blamed God. He trusted God at every step. But you and I tend to be a whole lot more like Jacob and Joseph's brothers than we are like Joseph, okay, if we're being real. 
And when things go wrong, what we want to do is blame God. And that's all of our tendency, I would say. And ultimately, let me say this to you. If you blame God, it is because you have gravely misunderstood who he is and what he's doing in your life. You mark this down. God is good. And that is never in question. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And even in the difficulties that you go through, God is still good, even in those. And boy, if you could just wrap your mind around what God has in store for you, even through the seasons of difficulty in your life, God wants to bring about things that are for your good and for his glory. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. God knows where he's taking you. And when he thinks of you, his thoughts of you are thoughts of peace, thoughts to prosper you, not to punish you, if you just trust him. And so there's one fundamental truth we need to learn as we study this chapter in Scripture together this morning. And here's the truth. Don't blame God. Believe in God. It's a very simple truth. But it's one we see repeated over and over again in the back, in the back set of this passage of Scripture. Don't blame God. Believe in God. And so I ask you this morning, as we approach together Genesis chapter number 42, instead of blaming God, would you be willing to believe in him today? Whatever your circumstances may be. Listen, the very thing you want to blame God for is the same thing he wants to use to bless you with. You think this is such a horrible thing that's happening in your life, but you don't understand what God has in store, even through this. And so don't blame God, believe in him. Would you be willing to make that decision today? And as we approach the the text of Scripture today, we're going to notice together seven reasons you will try to blame God if you don't understand who he is. Seven reasons you'll try to blame God. The text itself, as we read it, it comes across very negatively. But there are some positive, wonderful truths that we're going to dig out of this as we look at it. The seven reasons you will try to blame God if you don't understand who he is and what he's doing. Let's pray together and ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, uh, we sure need your help. We need your unction, your anointing on this time. And Lord, it will all be in vain unless you speak. And uh, Lord, I don't know who needs this message today. I would venture to say it's your word. It's profitable for all of us and that all of us need it in some way today. And so I pray you'd open up our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. And I pray that you'd speak to us in a way that only you can. And uh, Lord, we need your help today. And I pray that you'd meet deep spiritual needs. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. All right. It's warm in here. How many else? How many of you all are warm like I am? All, right, all two of you, great, okay? I guess that's not enough for me to turn on the air conditioner, so I'll just leave that alone, huh? All right, seven reasons you'll try to blame God. Let me put this thing on, and we'll get rolling. I don't want to hold this mic the whole time. All right, can you hear me now? Y'all are too quiet. You're going to have to help me out a little bit today, okay? I know you, I know you lost an hour of sleep, okay? Um, but uh, we're going to make it through this nonetheless. Uh, number one, you will blame God when you can't solve your own problems. These are pretty practical. But let's look at what the Bible has to say about this. All right, verse number one, the Bible tells us here, uh, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. Now, this famine that was devastating all of the country, uh, it had also devastated Jacob and his family. Nothing would grow. Their cattle was suffering. Um, Nothing was going his way. And it's interesting, uh, Jacob was God's chosen one. He was God's special one. And yet, hey, God did not deliver him from facing this time of famine like everybody else did. And I think it's important for us as the children of God to understand just because you're a Christian, just because you're God's child, doesn't mean that you're not going to go through hard times in your life. 
Every one of the patriarchs experienced a famine in the promised land. I find that very interesting. As we've studied through Genesis, every one of them experienced famine. And every one of us are going to experience times of famine in our lives as well. And so Jacob uh, got, in, uh, got uh, faced with this situation, and I'm sure he thought in his mind, why is God doing this to us? I mean, I'm living where God told me I'm supposed to live. I'm doing what God told me I'm supposed to be doing. Why is God doing this to me? Why is God doing this to my family? But what we find is that Jacob did not do in that moment of desperation what he should have done. Instead of turning to God and trying to seek God's provision and discover God's purposes for allowing this trouble into his life, we find, we find that Jacob tried to take things into his own hand. And he heard that there was corn in Egypt, and so he decided he's going to send his sons down to Egypt. Now, the Bible tells us that the boys, they were talking among themselves and trying to make a plan for themselves. I think it's because they didn't want to go to Egypt. Egypt was 250 to 300 miles away from where they were, and with how travel arrangements were in that day and time, it would have been a six-week journey, round trip for them to go down to Egypt. If they went down to Egypt, they, they would have been foreigners, and they risked being uh, 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 robbed along the way or being treated uh, uh, bad by the Egyptian government because they were foreigners and going to this other land, and they didn't want to go down there. I think most of all why the brothers didn't want to go down to Egypt is because the thought of Egypt haunted them. You know why? Because they'd sent their brother as a slave with some Midianites down to Egypt 20 years before. I kind of wonder in my mind if they thought, if I go down there, I might, we might see Joseph. We might have to face some things from our past that we don't want to face. And so they tried to take matters into their own hand, we find. And thus Jacob tried to uh, uh, do what he thought he could do instead of trusting what God would have wanted him to do. And by the way, later on, when his plan didn't work out how he wanted it to, he tried to blame God for it. He tried to blame God for it. And let me tell you, when you view all the trouble that is taking place in your life as a problem that you have to solve, and then it doesn't work out for you, you'll want to blame God for it. That, that's how it happens in every single one of our life. You know, God, through the trials that we face in life, He wants to use those trials to turn our hearts to Him. But if instead of uh, responding the way that God wants you to to the trial that you're going through instead of allowing him to turn your heart to trust him more through your difficulty instead of doing that you take matters into your own hand and you try to solve all your own problems and then it doesn't work out for you you'll get to a place in life where you think this is all God's fault I did everything I could God what more could I have done and you didn't come through for me that's what will happen if you have a wrong view of God in your life. We so often want to blame God for troubles that we get ourselves into. And uh, I would like to say that isn't true of my own life, but it's been more true of my own life more times than I would like to admit. Uh, it makes me think of uh, Mary Magdalene. Remember Mary, the woman who sat at Jesus' feet, she was such a great worshiper. When her brother died, though, she came up to Jesus and stuck her finger in Jesus' face and said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you, Jesus? And that's the same type of place that you and I like to get. See, Mary thought she had done everything that she could do. She had, she had asked for Jesus to come, and he hadn't come. Well, we had this problem last week, didn't we? That's, that's, that's so often what we want to do. We, one of the reasons that you're going to try to blame God in your life is because you can't solve your own problems. And be careful of that truth right there. Um, you try to do everything yourself, and then when you, when, when you run out of options, you come to God and say, God, why didn't you come through for me? Uh, makes me makes me think of the story of the, the man who was, who was in a flood, and he got on top of his house as the waters continued to rise. And while he was there, and that was all taking place, uh, some, um, he started praying and asking God to deliver him. And, and there was a, a, a rescue boat that came by to rescue him. And, and, and they said, just jump in the boat with us. We'll, we'll get you out of here. And the man said, no, I'm praying and I'm asking God to deliver me from this, from this trial. I'm praying and asking God. And so they went on their way. And not too long after that, uh, there was a helicopter 
who came and saw him on his house and, and they came down and let down the ladder and said, climb up the ladder and we'll save you. And he said, no, I'm praying and I'm trusting God to deliver me through this trial. And it flew off and lo and behold, the flood continued to rise and no one else came and the man drowned and he went to heaven. They looked at God when he got to heaven and said, God, why didn't you save me? He said, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. What more did you want? And that's, that's, that's how we are in our life, isn't it? All right, we want to blame God for all of our troubles when God was there all along and he provided for us and gave us a way to be able to get through our trial if we would have trusted uh, his plan. And boy, we need to learn this from, uh, from here and how much better it is to trust God with your troubles and try to handle them all yourself. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that trust in him. And so number one, you'll blame God when you can't solve your own problems. Note this down, number two, you'll blame God when you can't protect your loved ones. You'll try to blame God when you can't protect your loved ones. Look at verse number 3. The Bible goes on to tell us this, And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn and but and Joseph's brother... Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. After trying to solve his own problems without God, the next thing we see happens is that Jacob uh, gets in his mind that by his own scheming, he can somehow protect his loved ones. He thinks that he has this ability to be able to do this. And Jacob thought if he kept Benjamin home, that nothing bad would happen to him. And uh, but God was going to, by the end of this story, to um, uh, uh, correct Jacob for this foolish thinking. Understand this. Jacob had no more control over the health and safety of his family than he did over the famine that was devastating his family. His family. He had no control over these things, and yet he's acting like he can take these matters into his own hand. And here's a fact that you need to understand today. You have no control over what happens tomorrow. You are not in control. You have no control over the health and safety of your family. You have no control over stopping that phone call coming from your loved one that says, hey, I've got this, or hey, so-and-so died in an accident. You don't have control over those things. You don't get to decide those things. And how foolish it is to think that, that, uh, uh, that we can somehow uh, overrule uh, over, uh, the will of God when it comes to these kinds of matters. And Jacob made a grave mistake in thinking he could protect his family when he didn't understand what God's plan was in all of these things. The Bible tells us in Acts 17 that God alone is the one who gives to all life and breath and all things. It goes on to say that it's only by God's power that we live and move and have our beings. And I say to you this morning, when you try to protect your loved ones and then find out that you can't, you'll want to blame God for it. How often have I seen a good family who tried to do right by their kids and keeping them close to home and trying to keep them sheltered. I'm not against having uh, uh, ha having standards and and implementing things to protect the mind and heart of your children. Understand what I'm saying. How often have I seen a parent do these things only to see their child grow up and go sow their wild oats, so to speak, that devastates them? You think you have some kind of power to protect your, to protect your children in that way? Listen, how often have I sat beside a hospital bed with, with someone who has a loved one laying there and they've said something like, I would give anything in the world to be, to be in that bed for you right now. How often have I heard people make those kinds of statements and one thing uh, uh, becomes very evident you spend very long in this world is that you don't have control over these things. God is the one who has control over these kinds of things and God is the only one who has control over the, the health and safety aspects of all of our life and this is both a, a humbling and an encouraging truth. It's humbling because I have to admit I don't have control. And it's encouraging because I get to understand he's in control. And he's good. And that is an encouraging thing. And you know, uh, many of you have been staying up to date with us on what's happening with Bill and Dot Gap, with uh, all that's been going on with Dot's health of late. And boy, it's just been a blessing to sit down with Bill, her husband, and through all of this, see how God has worked in his heart. And he's told me there's been times when I wanted to blame God. There's been times when I wanted to get mad at God for allowing 
these things to happen, but I've, he said, I've just had to come to the realization that she's in better hands with God than she is in my hands. Instead of blaming God, you ought to believe in him. You ought to trust him. You ought to trust his purposes. You ought to trust his plan and the things that are happening in your life. And boy, hey, instead of blaming God, you ought to believe in God. But here's what's going to happen if you try to blame God. You'll blame God when you try to do things yourself and it doesn't work out for you. Number two, you'll try to blame God when you can't uh, protect your loved ones. But number three this morning, you'll try to blame God when you can't cover up your past. When you can't cover up your past. Now go on the scriptures here to verse number five. Verse number five, we see that after Jacob sent down 10 of his sons into Egypt, behind the scenes, God was working to bring them to the right place at the right time. The Bible says in verse number five, if you're there with me, say amen. The Bible says, and the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Now, Joseph was the governor over the whole land of Egypt. But God, in his providential way, in his sovereign way, he worked it out to where Joseph was the guy who was there selling the corn on just the day when all of his brothers came. I mean, they had places for selling corn all over the land of Egypt. But at just the right place and just the right time, God had, God had Joseph in the place he needed to be for when his brothers came. And boy, what must have been going through his mind when he saw them coming, when he saw them in line. I know what would have been going through my mind if those were my brothers, okay? I, I, I just wonder what was going through Joseph's mind. The Bible goes on to tell us in verse number 7, it says that Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them but made himself strange unto them and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dream which he dreamed of them and said unto them, Ye are spies, and to see the nakedness of the land are ye come. Now the Bible says that when Joseph's brothers arrived in Egypt, they didn't recognize him. Uh, it had been 20 years since they had seen him. Joseph was 32 years old, 31, 32 years old at this point, and uh, he was he was 17 the last time they the last time they saw him, and so he changed quite a bit. Besides that, they'd made him he 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 was clean shaven like an Egyptian now. He he didn't wear the beard like the Hebrew. Um, he was wearing uh, Egyptian robe, and he was speaking to them in Egyptian through an interpreter. And so there was so much about uh, Joseph that that wasn't recognizable to them. But boy, the Bible says Joseph knew who they were. And when he saw them, well, we find some people say he was starting to take vengeance here because he spake roughly to them. But here's what I believe, okay? How many brothers bowed down before Joseph at this point? Ten. Remember all the way back when we studied Joseph's dreams? How many, how many brothers did God tell him in his dream were going to bow down before him? Eleven. Joseph only counted ten. Joseph knew that this wasn't the fulfillment of God's dreams for him yet. He knew it wasn't the right time, and I just believe that God gave Joseph special wisdom to be able to understand that. And so instead of revealing himself to his brothers, which no doubt is a human being, that's what he wanted to do. I'm Joseph. All these years are strange, and he'd already forgiven him. But uh, all these years he'd been estranged, and no doubt he desired to be able to reveal himself to them, but it wasn't God's timing to do that yet. And so Joseph began to... Uh, test them, the Bible tells us here. He began to prove whether or not they had changed in their hearts over the years. And he began to ask them some questions to see whether or not uh, they were the same old mean, nasty brothers that had sold them into slavery all those years before. And so he asked them this question uh, in, in verse number 9. He asked them, uh, uh, ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, are ye come? And in verse 10, the Bible says, and they said unto him, nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons, and we are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, nay, but to see the nakedness of the land, are ye come? And they said, the, thy servants are 12 brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, That is that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved. 
By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. And send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. Boy, what a turn of events. They just came to buy corn in Egypt. And when they got there, they didn't know it was Joseph. The ruler of the land gets the idea that they're spies trying to come in and find out how they can uh, uh, come in and conquest the nation of Egypt. And boy, now, now their alarms are up. And the Bible tells us that Joseph, uh, when he began to hear their plea to them, um, he, he content. Now, he had an advantage, okay? He knew who they were. They didn't know who he was. And so uh, uh, to a little extent, we gotta, we got to give him credit. He's toying with them a little bit here, okay? And uh, he, he already knows what, anything they tell him. He already knows whether it's true or not. Um, and uh, so his brothers begin to give their defense, and they mention the fact that they had one brother who was gone. I wonder how he must have felt when he heard that. And then, he said, then they mentioned the fact they had another younger brother who was back home, and Joseph saw that as his opportunity. He said, okay. You say you have a younger brother? You say you're honest men? Then I want one of you to go back and get him and then bring him back and prove to me that your story is true. And boy, how the brothers must have felt about that because daddy didn't want Benjamin to come to Egypt. And uh, all of these things were taking place. And then the Bible says Joseph put them in the prison for three days, uh, to, into custody for three days. But let them think about it. Verse 17, the Bible says, And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren go bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me, and so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. Now here's what's interesting about all this. When Joseph's brothers gave their defense, what they said to Joseph is, we are true men. That literally means we're honest men. Honest men? Really? You've been lying to your father for 20 years? You've been lying to your family for 20 years about what you did to Joseph? You've been lying to yourselves for 20 years about what you did to Joseph? You're honest men? Really? Here's what the Lord spoke to me about this. You really think about it. Joseph's brothers had on a better disguise than what even Joseph did. Joseph's disguise was outward. They didn't recognize his appearance. But Joseph's brother's disguise was inward. And for decades, they had tried to cover up who they really were. For decades, they had tried to cover up what they had actually done. And boy, as we cross this juncture in their life, we began to see that God started to work in their life to orchestrate things to slowly chip away at that facade, at that mask that they had put on. They wanted the world to look at them as true and honest and good men, but there was a deep, dark secret in their past that they knew about and that God knew about that was about to prove otherwise. There were some issues in their past that needed to be dealt with. I say to you this morning, our churches are still filled today with people who are wearing this same kind of facade. We walk in on Sunday morning. We want everybody to look at us as if we're honest men and women. We put on our nice clothes. We sing the songs. We shake the hands. And nobody thinks otherwise. But God knows what's really going on in our hearts. You can't wear a mask that God cannot see beneath. There are no false pretenses or facades with God. He knows the condition of our hearts. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, First Samuel tells us. God knows what's really going on in the heart of every single one of us today. And let me tell you something. Your hypocrisy is sickening to God. I want you to look what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3. To the church in Laodicea, it was written in Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 
15. I want you to see it with me. I'll give you a chance to move back there. You're in the first book of the Bible. I'm having you go to the last book of the Bible, okay? I'm keeping it easy for you, okay? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, Jesus speaking to this church, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, what do I do? I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Spit you out. Listen, this is lukewarm Christianity. Not hot, not cold. This hypocritical type of living, it's disgusting to God. And it ought to be disgusting to us. We are true men. No, you're not. You can put on a facade of being honest. You can be on, put on the facade of being a good Christian, but you know your heart, and God knows your heart. And what God was trying to bring out through this whole circumstance that he allowed in these brothers' lives is he was trying to tear off their mask and make them face their past and give them victory over their past. Would to God that God would do the same thing for us. Listen, God is able to expose your past if he so desires. Numbers 32, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. But here's what God would rather do. I believe this is what God was trying to do in the life of Joseph and his brothers as well. Instead of um, catching them in their sin, he wanted to lead them to the place of confessing their own sin. How much better it is for you to confess your sin than for you to get caught in it. You confess your sin. You just come out with it. There can be repentance. But more times than not, if you get caught in it, you'll just be remorse. You're just sorry you got caught. You're not sorry you did it. God didn't want remorse. He wanted repentance from these boys. And so he was working in their life to bring them to the end of themselves so that they could. And you know the Bible says in Proverbs 28, he that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. i tell you something about this church. This church is not a museum. This isn't a place for a bunch of perfect people to come and display themselves. This church is a hospital. It's a place for broken and battered and hurt people to come and get some help. If there's any place you ought to be able to come to talk about your issues of your past, to talk about the issues that are taking place in your present, yes, to talk about your addictions, to talk about those things that are going on in your heart and mind that aren't good and that God is convicting your heart about, if there's any place you should be able to come and talk about those things, it ought to be the house of God. The Bible tells us in the book of James, chapter 5, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. Would to God we'd be that kind of church where we could help each other. Where we, could, we, we would be a place where we could come together and deal with some of those issues of our past that we're trying to cover, to take off the mask and talk about who we really are and let God lead us to true victory. That's the type of place we ought to be. Boy, if you get in a place in life where you're trying to blame God, there's several decisions you're going to make if you get to that type of place in your life. Number one, when you, you will blame God when you can't solve your problems. Number two, you'll blame God when you can't protect your loved ones. Number three, you'll blame God when you can't cover up your past. But I see this fourthly this morning. You will blame God when you can't get rid of your guilt. When you can't get rid of your guilt. Now, after all this took place, I want you to notice, Joseph has just given the verdict to his brothers. They don't know, it's his, they don't know Joseph is their brother yet. He's just given the verdict that they all can go home, but one of them has to stay behind. And he binds Simeon right in front of him. All of this takes place. And I want you to see what happens next. Verse number 21, the Bible tells us here. I better get back to my, I'm in Revelation still. <laughs> Revelation, uh, Genesis 42, verse number 21. The Bible tells us here, and they said one to another, we are verily what? Guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, as this distress come upon us, I think this was the first time in 20 years they finally owned up to what they had done. For 20 years, they didn't talk about it. For 20 years, they didn't want to think about it. But God used this situation to provoke their conscience, to bring them to the place of saying, we are 
guilty. They didn't want to face that guilt. They, didn't, they, they, they wanted to continue to live in denial of that thing, but they've been brought to a place when it was undeniable for them to uh, uh, be able to face this thing any longer. And they came to this place where they said they're guilty, and the Bible says in verse 22, and Reuben answered them saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And Reuben steps up and reminds his brother that he tried to stand up for Joseph all those years before. I don't think Joseph knew about that. Joseph's listening as they're having this conversation. They don't know, they, they don't know that he can understand them. But boy, it so moved Joseph hearing that his brother had stood up for him. It so moved Joseph hearing that his brothers finally, though they didn't admit it to him, though they didn't admit it to their father yet, they admitted that what they did was wrong. The Bible tells us in verse 23, and they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took uh, from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. And boy, all these things begin to take place in his life. And so we see the consciences of these brothers finally catching up to them to remind them of the guilt in their past. And don't miss this statement right here. You will blame God. Well, let me say it this way. A wrong view of God will cause you to live in continual fear. A wrong view of God will cause you to live in continual fear. You know, sometimes we get to a place in our life where Issues from our past are exposed. And people are this way today especially. God's not a condemning God. God's a loving God. I tell you, there still is right and there still is wrong. And though there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, if you choose to walk in sin, you're not going to escape the consequences in this lifetime for choosing to take that pathway. You don't blame God for your guilt. If you've done wrong, hey, when you mess up, fess up. By the way, when God provokes your conscience to remind you of something that isn't right in your life, that's a good thing. He's working in your life to help you to get something right that's going to be detrimental to yourself, to your family, to all the people that you influence. You ought to listen to his prompting when he's trying to bring those things out of your life instead of blaming him or getting mad at him for bringing those things to light. How often do, uh, uh, do, do people get caught in a situation that they don't want anybody else to know about and then they get mad at God when all the while, hey, it was them that had caused all the issues. I like what one person said. They said this, some people create their own storms and then get mad when it starts to rain. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, if you dig a pit, you're going to fall in it. You roll a stone up a hill and it's going to roll back down on you. You reap what you sow. And you mark it down. But guilt is not always a bad thing. Sometimes God uses it to bring cleansing in our life. And if God has brought guilt in your life for something that is going on in your past, you need to give it to him instead of getting mad at him for it. Listen, you've never been saved in here this morning. You've never been cleansed from all of your sin. One of the reasons that God convicts you of your sin is to make you realize you need a savior, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can forgive you of those sins. If you turn to him in faith and repentance, you turn from those sins and you ask Jesus to forgive you of those sins and you put your faith in him and his finished work through his death on the cross and his burial and his resurrection, you can be saved today from your sin. You don't have to carry the guilt of those sins. You don't have to worry about standing before God one day and having to give an account for all the things you've done and wrong in your life. If you go to Jesus Christ in faith and ask him to save your soul, you're, you could be you could be cleansed from all of your sin, every single one of them. There's a lot more we could say on that. What do you do when you get to a place, reasons you'll try to blame God in your life? 
Number one, you'll blame God when you can't solve your own problems. You'll blame God when you can't protect your loved ones. You'll blame God when you can't cover up your past. Number four, you'll blame God when you can't get rid of your guilt. But I see this, number five, you'll blame God when you misunderstand his blessings. When you misunderstand his blessings. Now, I've only got a couple minutes left, so we're going to have to hurry along. Verse number 25, the Bible tells us this, verse 25. And Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus he did unto them. And they laid their asses with corn and departed thence. And one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the end, and he espied his money. For behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it's even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, and say this statement out loud with me. Let's say it together. What is this that God hath done unto us? Here's what's interesting. Later in the, the next chapter, we learn this. Joseph, he didn't, he didn't give them back. Uh, he, Joseph paid for their corn. And then he told his steward to give them back, all of them back their money. Now, they only found one of them had his money in his bag at this point. When he opened his bag and he saw his money there after what they'd just gone through in Egypt and how much that ruler in Egypt didn't seem to trust them, their hearts sank. And they thought, oh no, <laughs> now he's definitely not gonna trust us. Not only is he gonna think we're a spies, but he's gonna think we're thieves. And their hearts began to sink. But here's the interesting thing about it. God had allowed this to happen in their life, not to curse them, but to bless them. But because they had a wrong perspective of God, because they were trying to blame God for all their problems, they mistook it when he was trying to bless them. Boy, this happens a lot in our lives as well. A wrong view of God will cause you to miss or to misunderstand the good things that God does in your life. A negative thing happens to you. You want to point your, your finger to heaven and say, God, what are you doing to me? And yet if you could see the end of the story, you wouldn't ask God that kind of question. If you truly believe in who God is, that God is good and that God takes the good and the bad circumstances of your life and works them out for your good and his glory, you wouldn't ask God those kinds of questions. No matter what is taking place in your life, you can trust that God is going to use those things for your good. We know that all things work together for good, Romans 8 says, to them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. We so often miss God's blessings because we're so, we're so focused on the burdens that seem to be in front of us. Listen, a spirit-filled Christian is able to see God's blessings even in the midst of all the trouble that you may be going through. That certainly has been true. Um, and by the way, let me say this. Sometimes God uses the things that seem like they're so bad in our life to bring about the best good in our life. Last Sunday night, uh, Brother Roy was given the testimony, uh, his testimony, uh, about how, how going to prison through that circumstance of his life, that's, what, that's how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. God can sometimes use the things that seem like they're the worst thing in the world to us at the time to bring about the best thing that has ever happened to us. Well, there were other testimonies that were shared last Sunday night. We don't have long to park on this, but boy, if you try to blame God, you're gonna get to a place where you start to miss his blessings, the things he is trying to pour out into your life. You're so focused on trying to blame him for all of your troubles. I'll say this, number six, the sixth reason you'll blame God. You'll blame God when you can't understand his purposes. You'll blame God when you can't understand his purposes. Look with me at verse number 29. The Bible says, And they came unto Jacob their father into the land of Canaan and told him all that befell them, saying, The man who is Lord of the land. And boy, they went down, and for sake of time, I won't read all this. They went down and they retold everything that had happened to them to their father. I mean, they told him the whole story about how uh, the ruler of the land had asked him all these questions and then thought they were spies and then uh, uh, kept one of them as a prisoner and sent him home and they wouldn't be allowed to come back and get more food unless they brought Benjamin back with them. 
Boy, that was a tough thing for, jo for Jacob to hear at that point in time. And we find that after all this happened, you go down to verse number 35, and it says, And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in a sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were what? Afraid. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. And now you want to take away Benjamin? All these things are against me. Well, Joseph, Jacob, at this point, he gets in on, gets in on blaming God as well. And he first wants to blame his sons. This is your fault, boys. Why, why did you even tell him I had other kids? That's what he asks him later. He says, you, you, you've made me childless. You, you've taken Joseph away from me, and you've taken Simeon away from me, and you want to take Benjamin away from me. And then he points his finger at God and says, all these things are against me. We know the rest of the story, don't we? We read the rest of the story, and we think, no, Jacob. God is working all these things together for you. They're not against you. It might feel like it's all against you right now in the moment you're living in. But boy, just wait. Just wait six months. The whole story is going to change. Just wait and see what God has in store for you, Jacob. It's not all against you. It's all for you. Jacob could not see God's purposes in the middle of all he was going through because he was too busy blaming God for what was happening right now. If you're not careful... You get to a place in life when you start blaming God for all of your troubles so much that you forget that God still has a sovereign purpose in everything that he's allowing in your life. I often put it this way. If you think of the story of our life as a puzzle, all right? Now, I don't personally enjoy putting together puzzles. Some of you do, though, okay? All right? But one thing I've learned about putting puzzles together, especially if you're starting from uh, you don't know what the picture is, okay? You start putting those pieces together. And boy, you start putting them together and you think, what in the world is this? Sometimes I picked up a piece and I thought, man, this isn't going to look good. You look at one piece of the puzzle, you might get a thought like that. You put it all together, it looks good. Sometimes in our life, we only get a look at one piece of the puzzle. The piece we're looking at right now doesn't look very good. doesn't look like it's going to turn out to be a good picture. But wait till God's done. You trust in God's purposes. Instead of blaming God, you believe in God. You believe in his intentions for you. And wait till he brings you to the end. Boy, thankfully, God still works things out for the good of the whole family in the end. But at this point in time, they, J Jacob and his, and his family got to such a low point because they'd rather blame God than believe in him, than trust in him. And it was a desperate situation they found themselves in. Notice this final thing, and we'll be done. A seventh reason you'll blame God is because you refuse to trust in his providence. You'll blame God when you refuse to trust in his providence. Now look with me at verses 37 and 38. The Bible says, And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I'll bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. And if mischief befall him by the way in which ye go, then ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Boy, after all of these things took place, to summarize, Jacob, he's still trying to hold Benjamin to himself. And he basically tells, Reuben steps up and says, Hey, I, I, if, if I can't keep Benjamin safe and we have to go back for food, then you can kill my two sons. It was a stupid thing for him to say, by the way, okay? No way a grand, any grandpa in his good mind would do something like that anyways, okay? But he's just zealous. He said, I'll make sure he's safe this time. Remember, Joseph was lost under his watch before. He had a reason for being very zealous. But Jacob says, no, no, Benjamin won't ever go. He essentially says... We all can starve for this famine, but Benjamin stays. Essentially says Benjamin's more important than all of you. This is what he didn't understand. Benjamin was the key to God's plan. And the sooner Jacob could make the decision to trust God with Benjamin, 
the sooner God could bring about his providential plan to restore the family. But Jacob's sight was so limited, he couldn't see what God was doing. And he's holding on to Benjamin, not trusting God with Benjamin, and literally delaying God's providential plan. Now, later on, we're going to see how he eventually lets him go. But until Jacob could trust God with Benjamin, the story was at a halt. And you know what? Part of the reason why Jacob wouldn't trust God with Benjamin, I believe, is because Jacob blamed God for allowing what had happened to Joseph in the past. I couldn't trust him with Joseph, so I'm not going to trust him with Benjamin. He wouldn't trust in God's plan. And that's what brought, up, brought about all of these struggles and, and problems in his, in his life. And let me say, when you blame God, you are delaying the providential plan that God, of deliverance that God has from the trial that you find yourself in. The sooner, whatever it is that you're holding back, Jacob held back Benjamin, whatever it is that you're holding back, the sooner you start believing God with that area of your life, instead of blaming him for that area of your life, the sooner God can use it to bring about his sovereign purposes for your life. But so long as you hold on to that hurt, so long as you hold on to that thing that you want to blame God for, it's going to stall you from being able to move on. God has a lesson he wants to teach you through the difficulties you go through in your life. So, so long as you hold on to Benjamin, you're not going to be able to learn those lessons. You know, there's a lot of things that come about simply because we go through difficulty in our life and instead of believing God, trusting God with those areas, we decide to blame him. Would to God, you and I would make a decision today to let go and let God. Instead of trying to point a finger at God for things we can't understand, would to God we decide today to start trusting him. You know what? The hurts, the troubles, the things in my life that I can't understand, they're a whole lot better in his hands anyways. Because I don't have a clue what I'm doing most of the time. But he knows the end from the beginning. He's the alpha and the omega. Who better to trust than God? I want to encourage you, instead of blaming God, some of you have hurts in your past that have been keeping you from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I've heard this question so many times. How could a loving a God allow war, allow death, allow all these things to happen? But here's the gospel. Listen, God did not create the world with those things. We brought when we chose to sin. And the good news is that Jesus, God's son, came into this world died for us so that you and I could be saved from our sin, saved from the punishment we deserve, and have eternal life. And today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Hey, today would be a good day for you to start believing in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save you. Instead of blaming God, today would be a great day for you to come trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin.